Being a professional isn't about the money you make, the position you hold, your level of expertise or fame. It's the motivation and the attitude you bring to your work. A desire for always learning and improving and balancing your creative output with getting the business done. Welcome and join the Creating Pros. Hey, and welcome back to Creating Pros. I'm your host, Jim Nettles, and this week we are doing a show I've actually been wanting to do for a long while, and I'm being joined today by the one and only Alex Simmons. Alex, thanks for coming to hang out with me today. Thank you, Jim. Pleasure to be here. Haven't seen you in a while, too, so it's that fun also, another benefit of this gathering. Well, yeah, um, I saw more of you. I was editing a comics show you did the other night, so for continual, so... Yep. I got to see you, but you hadn't seen me, or at least that's true. That's true. It's been a while. So, Alex, why don't you uh, kind of tell everybody a little bit about yourself, the fun stuff that you're doing, and then we'll we'll dive into why we're here today, <laughs> why I roped you in. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So, um, again, as you may know, folks listening here uh, or watching, uh, my name is Alex Simmons. I'm a freelance writer, writing coach, and consultant. I am also an ex actor. I've done so many um I've had so many experiences in the creative medium uh, of of acting of directing of writing of teaching it's been uh, I've had a wonderful life you know just a little Jimmy Stewart moment there so I've let's see as a as a writer I've written for uh Simon and Schuster I've written for uh, Random House uh, as uh, I've done comics, I've worked with DC and Marvel and Archie. Uh, I've written Tarzan, uh, the comic strips. Uh, I created my own character for graphic novels and short stories called Blackjack, which is an African-American soldier of fortune in the 1930s. And we'll talk more about that. Uh, I teach screenwriting at the New York Film Academy uh, in New York. And I've done that for about seven years or so. But I've actually taught what I do, acting or writing, for, mm, my goodness, uh, years. <laughs> I would say probably about 35 to 40 years. Which makes you 41. Yep. I, exactly. Yes. I, I was a very active baby. <laughs> I want to draw like this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I've been around for a while. And I've I've had the benefit and the pleasure and the the honor of working with a lot of you know, people who came before me who were really remarkable and generous with sharing their training and experiences. And I've equally been blessed on the other end of having taught off and on for so long that some of my students who I met when they were much younger, like one of them was even 13, is now a full-grown individual with his own children. And I've had a chance to see how they've grown up and how some of the things that I share with them creatively had a positive impact on their lives. So it's 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 good to be the king. Yes. <laughs> Problem is it takes a while to get to be the king, right? Yeah. Well, you just hang around, keep breathing, you know, <laughs> keep doing. Um, and I would also say, and I know this will come up in our conversation, it's, it's a lot about attitude and tenacity. Um, I was uh I was raised by a single parent, my mom. And she had a lot of health issues. Um, and I was raised on what's known as social services. So, you know, one could pencil in the excuses of raised, you know, quote unquote, poor, uh, underserved community, African-American or black or whatever the, the term was at the time, um, didn't didn't go to college, yada, yada, yada. So, yeah, there's a lot of reasons why things could have gone south. 
But um, A, mom didn't quit. So that was a lesson she taught me. She didn't squash my imagination at all. You know, as long as I was doing my homework and acting like as she perceived it, a decent human being, uh, she encouraged and nurtured, you know, what you want to draw, draw, baby. You want to write, write, baby. You want to talk about television stuff for like hours and movies that I don't understand. Okay, it's all good. And because that actively imaginative kid didn't get squashed, I turned into this person who found a career in the creative arts. And I try and pay that forward. Uh, and I try to encourage people to understand that the creative arts, yes, you could look at it as, oh, you can imagine stories, you can imagine plays, you can imagine, uh, if you're a choreographer, you can imagine dance sequences. Yes. And creativity also means you can think outside the box, which means that particular skill can be applied in other ways and in other fields. Yeah. And one of the things that is a challenge to me, I mean, is that we watch the education system not do service for kids. I mean, because it's become much more about, all right, can we train you just to at least be able to handle the basics? And you're being kind. We'll talk about that. You're being very kind. I, I'm being kind. I, and I come from a long line of education. Um, my sister and I are the first generation not to be licensed teachers, you know, working in the classroom. Hmm. but both of us teach, both of us speak, both of us do a lot of things. I mean, and I'm the shy, quiet one in the family, so that should give a pretty good idea. <laughs> but looking at how we don't necessarily foster creativity, I think this is one of the things, and, and having spent a long career blended between both my own stuff and corporate entities and consulting and stuff, the number of people that don't necessarily have that ability to think creatively that the most creativity a lot of people get, especially for younger guys these days and, and younger ladies is if they're gaming and they're in an open world, but they're not mm -hmm. really encouraged to get tremendously creative. Like my nephew picked up on Minecraft very early. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of things in that, that facilitated creativity and, looking at a lot of the kids I know, they don't necessarily have it. Or if they do, it's just kind of squashed. And I think that what we're seeing is, uh, like right now for some, some stuff, I'm hiring guys and hiring a couple of young of ladies that are coming in that I'm looking and saying, okay, I need you to think a different way. And I'm trying to put together the program that is going to help me retreat, reteach, retrain, and help them actually think creatively so mm -hmm. that we can do the work that we do. And it's not necessarily fun stuff. It's all in technology, but it's, if you can have fun with it and learn to approach the work differently, it makes a huge difference. And I can always tell somebody I'm working with that has those creative interests, those creative passions and the ones that it's like, okay, well, let me, let me just come in and do my, do my, do my thing and go home. See, see and one of the things, one of the things you mentioned there, it's, Okay, I'll, I'll try and squeeze this into a, a succinct statement. Some years ago, I was invited to speak at a convention of educators in D.C. And the night before the big event occurred, there was a dinner. So you got a huge banquet room full of arts and education people oriented and set up and geared and ready, revved up for the weekend's events of sharing knowledge and techniques. 
but they had a keynote speaker. And this gentleman who I don't know at the time, maybe was in his late 50s. I knew nothing about him, but he got up on stage, three-piece suit, the whole bit, and was somewhat of an authority in something and proceeded to give this supposedly impassioned, inspiring speech that kept repeating, we've got to teach kids to be creative. We've got to teach kids to think so that they can be creative because kids aren't creative and we got to teach them how to be creative. I'm thinking that's totally backwards. Mm -hmm. Kids come into the world curious and wide-eyed and sponges and a lot of them, a vast majority of them are totally open to making stuff up or exploring things, drawing. You draw in front of a, a baby who's got some sort of motor skills and they will try and imitate what you did, right? So it's not so much that we have to teach kids to be creative as much as we have to allow them and encourage them and nurture their creativity mm -hmm. and understand, at least as I see it, that this is me supporting you doing this because that's a growth process. That's something that's going to help your brain expand and it's going to help you see the world a little bit more and, and differently. It doesn't mean that you're going to become a comic book artist or TV or screenwriter. You know, It doesn't mean that you're going to go into the arts as a profession. It means that you are going to be able to be more observant, be able to think outside the box more, be more receptive to your, your moods and energies and things. Music can affect you. You're going to be a bigger, broader, healthier person as a whole. Mm -hmm. And then maybe go forth, uh, you know, if you want to be a creative professional, fine, great. So I think that, that what you're saying is absolutely right. And I think that if we can be more aware of the benefits of creativity within an academic structure, if you will, then we get the best of both worlds. Well, and I remember growing up, you know, I took a lot of the arts classes and things like that. And admittedly, as a kid, I was like, yeah, not real talented in, in the arts. I at one point was a decent artist. I could draw relatively well, do, did a fair amount of sketches and charcoal. I got my start in media and stuff in high school as a photographer and a writer. Um, my mother was an English teacher. So a lot of the things that I did necessarily weren't necessarily there, but I mean, I grew underneath, grew up underneath the red pen. So I've mm. never been afraid <laughs> of being edited, but at the same time, I had the benefit of parents that did at least allow me to go explore things, nurture things. I grew up on the early edges of a lot of the technology so I grew up with it. And so I grew up in this weird mixture of creativity, but also politics and business and entrepreneurship and small business and, and all this kind of weird stuff. So when I look at things through the world, I know that my lens is a little bit unique. But when I look at and some of the things that I do where I work with kids, I teach classes, I, you know, I, I coach kids in a number of different athletics things. I can tell the kids that are given more of that freedom to both make mistakes and also look at the world differently, be creative. And I think it, there's this idea of we want to put creativity in a box and that's the antithesis mm. is how we define creativity. Cause I had the same thing with a lot of the adults I work with. I recently talked for a university thing and 
the vast majority of people that were listening in the room were adults coming to writing at a later stage. I mean, there were some college kids and stuff in there too, but there were a lot of adults that also came into the program that were now going and saying, oh yeah, I used to have this creative streak yep. and I'm, I'm trying to embrace it again. And I long have believed that if you do not have a creative outlet, A, you're not living a full life, but B, you are confining yourself, constraining yourself. And one of the things that I, to me, that came out of the pandemic was everybody that, you know, in over time has largely just sort of ignored and treated entertainment as something that's becoming more and more free, should be cheap. You can't do anything about it. Nobody cares about it. There's tons of it out there and you can find something at any given time. All of a sudden, when everybody in the first couple of weeks of the pandemic were, okay, I'm locked in the house. What am I going to do? I'm going to flip on Netflix. I'm going to dive into my 2B red pile. And I think a lot of people discovered again, oh yeah, there's, there's more to life. There's more to things than just sitting in the box, go to work, go home, crash out. Because the other thing I saw was the number of people that were then inspired to revisit those creative outlets. And one of the things that for me as a personal driver, and this is the reason I wanted to have this conversation, is much like yourself, I think I see that if we can create that habit in kids and keep that going into adulthood, that's then what really starts to change how people look at the world, how they treat the world, and better equips them to face challenges in a world that changes on a daily basis. Exponentially in some respects because of the chip i mean i was i was born into a world where you know initially computers didn't exist in the general public mindset and then at a certain point maybe like 1970s okay so now it's popping up in in popular media you know in different ways and, and like or even actually in the 60s if you think about the computer in the star trek tv series you know the talking computer but at a certain point not only did we suddenly have a thing called a computer that more people had access to but then the chips began to it's like the capacity of this chip made it possible to exponentially blossom out even further and do more and it's you know it, the the technology has grown so fast in the past few years that i do feel in some ways like human beings are running far behind you know it's racing far ahead of us and it's like well, and sometimes in my mindset, it's like giving a gun to a chimp. You know, <laughs> it's just like, I don't know what to do with this, but let's try all this stuff. And then we have to deal with the mess that comes from that. Um, also, I would say that, you know, another thing that you were talking about, or at least how I feel about something you were talking about, is the benefit, another benefit of starting out early with people as children becoming comfortable with creativity, with drawing or playing music or whatever, is you've given them a habit that says, I can express what I feel. I can express myself through my drawings or through my music or through my dance or whatever, you know, through my cooking, you know, it's culinary mm -hmm. arts, you know. I can, I can take what's in here or sometimes the stuff that's scrambling around my head and I can put it out there in some form that allows me to go, okay, that's that's what that is, or I can communicate, I have more practice communicating, sharing what I'm feeling, or what I'm thinking. And that also makes you a better whole human being as you get older. Because I have students who are 
anywhere from 16 to 60 in some of the arts uh, programs and things that I teach. And it's it's equally heartbreaking to work with a student who's 19, who doesn't believe he or she has anything, any decent ideas, anything worth saying. Nobody cares about what I want or think or feel. Meet a 60-year-old who's saying the same thing. And, and my job is to get them to trust themselves and to take that leap of faith to put their words and thoughts on on paper and 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 then slowly even maybe share it with others and what are they going to think well you know it doesn't matter first what do you think you Mm -hmm. did it you got it out you know but to watch the struggle one person okay maybe for 15 years you've been struggling with this sense of not feeling like you're worth anything this person for 40 years Yeah, that's that's a lot of time, a lot of damage to have to work back from, because for some reason you were told that you have to keep it all closed. Well, and the fact that often your creative outlet becomes part of that therapy, even if no one else ever sees it, things that you write, things that you express, things that you may paint and draw. I mean, I do hot glass work when I when I've got time. I love play. I mean, there's nothing that will get your attention like playing with glass at a couple of thousand degrees. Yeah, I would say focus a big thing right there. (laughs) And watching glass move. And there's a lot of chemistry involved. There's a lot of physics involved and heat and temperature and the elements you're working with. But there's also something very almost spiritual about it in that Mm. nature of playing with it and watching it and then waiting to see what comes out on the other end. Yeah, I remember photography when I used, especially for media, it was all black and white pictures. Mm. You know, it was, all right, I blew through a roll of film. Let's hope one of these is dead on and in focus and the right frame and the right action. I mean, I covered a lot of sports. So there was a lot of the time where you were like hitting, all right, I'm going to hit 20 pictures and maybe one of these will be printable. Yeah. And when you're doing things like that, there's that that anticipation. There's that that, okay, what did I get? What did I get? Mm-hmm. And there's a bit of that dopamine hit that goes along with it too with, all right, I, the book is out in the world. The publishers turned it loose. I've turned it loose. Let's see who loves it and see who hates it. And there, there is just that rush that goes, okay, it's out there. Let's see what happens. And I think that a lot of the, the, a lot of the people that, that I work with and deal with, there's so much fear that somebody's not going to like something. Yep. And I'm like, the truth of it is, if you do enough stuff, somebody's really not going to like something you do. That's Guess right. what? The way I dealt with that, the first time I got a one-star review, I actually wrote a post on my blog at the time as a thank you note. Because the <laughs> because what they wrote is the review, and they'd read the whole thing. They said, I don't get it. And I wrote a thank you note that said, Thanks. You're not my reader, but thanks for buying it. Thanks for reading it. And thanks for leaving a review. There you go. Yeah. Well, attitude. Absolutely. Your attitude is a big part of whether or not you stand or fall more often than not. You know, my moms used to say, you know, they can knock us down, but as long as we keep getting up, you know, that's it. You're going to get knocked down. You're going to you're going to run into it. A number of people who are going to dislike what you do, and you're going to run into a group of people that are going to like what you do. Then you're going to run into a group of people who are going to think that you're you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. You know, it's all part of the experience. And sometimes, yes, negative responses, 
make you feel sad, uncomfortable, whatever. But again, it's all part of the experience. It's you're making your mark. You're you're doing something that is speaking your truth. And and again, whether or not you choose to 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 chase it as a profession, or it's just simply how you express yourself, how you sometimes just give that to yourself to feel good. It's all valid. It's all perfectly valid and shouldn't be squashed and held uh, cheap in some way, shape, or form, or some some sort of nonsensical rating. No. If you enjoy reading, if you enjoy reading poetry, that's fine. If you enjoy writing poetry, great. If you think that you're going to become the greatest poet in the world and you don't, but you still write, that's great. You know, it's it's all about the attitude. How do you approach? What are you looking for? How do you approach it? And and what's the benefit of being creative? And the, the biggest benefit is you get to express yourself. You get to put what you think and feel out there in some form, whether it's for an audience or not. And that's a that's a freedom. That's a that's a power that I don't think really we should be squashing in anybody. So how do you think we go about encouraging people to take the risk of being creative again? I mean, because we all know it's hard enough to to get people to sign up for, sit in the class, take the class, you know, do the things. And it, especially today, we've got so many options that are out there. Everybody's got a way to get the information that they want mm-hmm. and that they need. Um, you know, to me, the biggest problem always is this, and not just in creative space, but period, is it's not getting the answer. It's knowing the right question to ask. Mm. <clears throat> and to me, this has been one of the biggest questions. How do we encourage those people that still want to go find this to find that to find that next creative passion and pursue it? Whether it's just for them, like you say, cooking. I mean, cooking can be a tremendously creative experience. Um, I've got a friend of mine who they she's you know and now a, a year out of college. She's a teacher who we do an event every year, and I'm over there cooking. She's like, I don't know how to cook, and I'm like, How do you not know how to cook? I'm like, All right, so let. So, you know, I'm playing mentor going, here's how you cook. Go make this. Go do this. You know, well, go uh, you know I'll, I'll say this. Um, sometimes it's it's how you say what you say when you're, quote, unquote, offering the opportunity. Mm-hmm. All right. I tend to think of it as I have to help people give themselves permission to do this. Right. So how I phrase things, I think, is important. Um I, I did this one time. I was doing a professional development workshop with teachers <clears throat> who were working with at-risk youth. And I'd say between the three teachers I was working with at that time, they had about 12 to 15 years of experience. And I, I did a series of workshops with them. And at one point I said, have you noticed that whenever I've asked you a question and you've given me an answer and I was looking for something a little different, I never said you were wrong. And they looked at me and said, no, I, you don't. No, I, I hadn't noticed that. I said, what do you think that is? And they 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 didn't have an answer. And I said, it's because here you are about to take a risk. You're about to, in front of your peers, offer up a thought. And I know already you're thinking, I'm not sure about this. And so how do you think it would go if when you took that risk, I went, no, that's not it. What's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. You're going to you're going to backtrack even further. Is that my job is to help you feel that this is, as they use the phrase, 
a safe space, a non-judgmental space. The only thing you could possibly do wrong is not participate. You know, and so I will try to say things like, okay, that's that's a piece of it. Um, anybody else have another thought? I want to add to this. I make it about us collaborating to get to the answers that we need. I try to think of it as a holistic experience to help them give themselves permission to try again. Okay, so that wasn't the exact answer, but something I said connected. So maybe I am thinking and blah, 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 blah. So it starts to encourage them. With writing, uh, a lot of people, including people who are passionate about wanting to become writers, you know, think that, starting out, that the first words I put down on paper must be perfect. It's got to be the first, I mean, the moment I can't type or write anything until it's perfect. I'm going, really? <laughs> How's that working for you? You know, and they'll look at me and say, well, no, it, you know, I want it to sound. I, say, I know you want it to sound right. And that's a great goal. But first, you got to let the stuff sort of tumble out of your brain onto a surface so that you can look at it and really start to understand what you're saying. In other words, the first time you write a story, a poem, a letter, the first time, it's a rough draft. And really, all that is, is getting it to a point of where you can look at it and say, oh, that's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm trying to say. Now comes the fun part, the rewrites. And if you don't approach that as, oh, God, I got to rewrite. No, you get, okay, now I get to take out this and put this in. And because now you're forming it, you're, you're uh, massaging it into the form that you truly want to see or feel or, or experience. So a lot of the time, it's the phraseology. It's using words that encourage forward motion and taking a chance and being okay with the results if it's not, quote unquote, perfect, because perfect is, is a concept and it's an illusion, it's judgmental. You know, you want it to be the best it can be. Good. Let's, let's do the work. Let's do the work that's going to get us there. So I have a question for you on that front. So okay. as a as a teacher and an educator, one of the one of the biggest challenges that I've seen for so many friends of mine in the space is you get frustrated, you get burned out. How do you keep the hope so that you can keep giving students hope? I for me, I guess I can really only speak for myself. Um A, I have I have burned out at at one point. And what I learned from that was that I needed to take care of me so that I could then, quote unquote, take care of others or do for others or share with others. Um, again, I mentioned my mom was, you know, she was really wonderful in encouraging me or nurturing me or supporting me or allowing me to explore and do creative things and be a bit of a nutcase for her, the poor woman. Um, but that didn't mean that I didn't feel like I screwed up or that people didn't like my stuff or that I wasn't really good at. And so I had some of that same noise in my head anyway. And so over a period of years, as you do it more, what happens sometimes is those negative voices get slick. They go into the shadows. Before they were right up front, front row going, eh, you suck, right? But when they start to see, oh, oh, you're starting to stand up to us. Okay, well, then let's hide and then jump him when he's not looking. So there was a point where some of my writing, you know, I wasn't selling. 
Uh, I wasn't, you know, getting hired for gigs. Some other things had gone negative. And I just started to feel like, obviously, it's me. I'm, 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 it's a waste. I don't have the talent, blah, 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 blah. And there was some personal things that weren't working. And so I just started to feel like, okay, it's shut down. And then I remembered two things, uh, again, for me, is that the kid in me got exuberant and excited and happy and passionate about things. And that's not a negative. To be excited and happy and, and curious doesn't mean I'm childish. That's that childish enthusiasm. And the kid comes up with the ideas, the wacky ideas. Then it's the adult who has to figure out how to pull it off. And so once I started to re-embrace that enthusiasm, that wonder, and that appreciation, and said, okay, yeah, I stumbled, I fell, I screwed up. Here's a new day. What can I do now that's going to be different, that maybe it's going to make it a bit better? Once I did that, it impacted on everything else. So I can honestly say for the last 20 years, I, I don't burn out on the positives. I also don't take in a lot of negatives. I don't watch the news religiously. I just don't. You know, I know there's some negative things going on in the world, but if you think about it, if you're constantly feeding on the negative, if you're constantly listening to the negative, other people around you are constantly talking negative, your your peers and loved ones are in a negative place, then hey, it's going to have an effect on you. And you're going to feel as down or as angry or as frustrated as they are. Instead of looking at, okay, it's this problem and that's it. It's like, okay, what can I do about it? Where can I go with this? So again, I try and look for answers rather than just studying the problem or stopping at the problem. And I try and remain curious about the world and appreciative about the world. With my students, I say, be more observant. I will take them out on walkabouts and I'll say, what do you see? What do you experience? And they'll, you know, initially, and I, I know this is a long-winded answer, but bear with me. Initially, they, you know, if we're standing in a in a public park area, they'll say, oh, I see some people. I said, you know, what kind of people? Well, you know, I just see some people. I see a kid. I said, describe them. Focus in on somebody, something that's particularly outstanding to you or repugnant to you or amuses you. And they'll start to zone in and I'll ask other things. And I finally say, do you smell anything? Oh, yeah, there's a food wagon over there. And oh, there's this trees and somebody did something. Yeah. And it's like you were this way. Open up. And now let what you see and what you hear and what your, you know, your other senses affect you enough that you you get ideas, you have reactions to it. And those things begin to feed your imagination. I'll give them a, the, the the task of you see a stranger maybe sitting there reading or sitting on a park bench, maybe just drifting off in, in their own thoughts. Make up something about that person. Where do you think that character that person is a character is coming from? What do you think they're thinking about? You know, use this material. So in stimulating yourself by being more observant and open to the world, your creativity is fed. I think it was Isaac Asimov who said, you know, it was Asimov who said every morning he would take in, he would read magazines, listen to the news or or talk to people. He was taking material in so that he would have something to say when he sat down to write. And that's that's really a part of it is instead of closing off to everything, 
is open up enough that you are fed the the nourishment that you need to be creative and to be um, a person who reflects life more than trying to avoid it. You know, I I traveled for a very long time. I I still do a fair amount of it. So I mean, I, I've spent a lot of my life sitting in airports, hotels, sitting in the bars, sitting in the restaurant, sitting you know, going office to office, meeting with clients all over the place. I've been over a fair amount of the world, mm-hmm. and one of those things you can only watch so much bad TV, <laughs> um, and you can only it, it, and stuff like this. And so you get these opportunities to just sit and watch people and play the, you know, play the games of, okay, where's this person going? You know, this person is in a good mood. This one is not watch body language, watch and study what people say, watch and see, you know, what's happening because you get to see people in, in kind of all states of life sitting yep. in an airport and under and the underneath a very particular kind of stress, because no matter what you say, especially these days, if you're in the airport, there's a certain kind of stress going on. Even if you're headed on vacation, it's, is my flight going to get there? It, you know, am I going to be crammed in the middle seat? Am I going to, you know, all these things that we create anticipations Mm-hmm. And they're always worse than the reality, um, most of the time, at least. But I, I think there's a great value in exploring these things in life around you because that, again, I, I agree with you, forces you to open up and look at, well, if these are the things that are going on around me here, what does this mean in my studying life? What does this mean at home life? What does this mean in working life if you are able to be that kind of observant? If you are able to look at how the world is moving, you get to look at things in a very different way, which means you're often also, when you tell people, here's this idea, either A, they look at you like you are a genius or like you're insane going, well, we would would (laughs) never do things that way. Why not? Well, Well, because we wouldn't and learning to grow and ask questions. So let's talk a little bit some of the classes you're teaching. What are the things that you teach and why are you why are you leaning toward these? And part of the reason I really like them is it goes beyond just being creative, drawing. Here's how to, you know, here's a comic book and how to put it together. It's really applying useful and and marketable skills in a lot of cases, even working with the youngest kids. So um, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh I, well, I teach a plethora of things over the years. Um, there was a workshop I taught called um, Th- That's News to Me. That's News to Me. And this was, uh, I created this some years ago. And it was a journalism workshop. But it was supposedly for kids. And I had stipulated that it be for children 8 to tw- and up, right? And the very first workshop that I was given, you know, opportunity I was given to do this, um, the center where I was doing it said, oh, well, we'll interview and get the, all the kids together for you so when you come in two weeks we'll have it all set up for you and i get there <laughs> and i have a class of about eight students and they're six years old <laughs> i'm going excuse me and they said well yeah yeah these are your kids i said they're they're six and and she said well is that a problem i said well in in my 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 curriculum it indicates that it's a writing project i mean we discuss this and some of these kids barely spell their names. Just, oh, oh, um, well, I guess you won't do the right. I said, no, no. I said, you know what? No, 
let me let me let me keep going with it. Let me try something. Let me just explore this. I want to see what was the challenge here. What could I do? How could I make this experience work for them? Right. So immediately, first thing is I have to rethink my structure to some degree, and then I research how much of a change is necessary. So we, I take the kids into this room. We start talking. I'm I'm exploring and explaining to them what we're going to do in this workshop. And I'm not talking down to them, but I'm using simpler, you know, sentence structures to make it accessible to them. And while I'm telling them, oh, you're going to be an investigative reporter and all this kind of stuff. One girl picks up a little short bottle. Uh, it's like a Poland spring water bottle and starts pretending that she's giving the news and using the bottle as a microphone. And a couple of other friends see this and they grab things. One of them was a little lunchbox and holds it like a movie camera and starts filming the news item she's talking about. And I went, okay, instead of writing, this is going to be video and audio. And they'll be able to talk their things. And I'll take notes, but I'll get them to share their thoughts with me. And then I'll write it down. So I did that. And I'm getting, going somewhere with this. Well, so when the, the people who ran the events, uh, the, the workshops, said, Oh, so you're going to write the thing? I said, well, actually, no, I'm going to transcribe their thoughts. But they're kids. I said, yeah, I know, but it's their stories. So I need to know what they're saying, make sure I'm correct, and that way it'll be their words. And that's what we did. So from that moment in looking at how you, you know, you come with your curriculum, you come with your, your goals and everything, but you also have to read your audience, and that's what I did with that. So that became validating their imagination, but also it became about structuring concepts and communication. It became a way of them doing research and being able to talk about subjects that they were curious about and then being able to see, and this was the, the big plus, see that what I thought about and what I said and what I worked on, here it is now, first in print and then later we did a video news piece where it was all videotaped and edited together. So they got to take that home and show that to their family of them doing the news. And in this case, it was uh, on a place called Roosevelt Island. So they got to talk about some history of all. The These are six-year-old kids. Huh? So with that, with my comic book workshops, um, uh, The Art of Making Comics is the name of one of them. I teach kids how to construct comic book stories. But I start out with comic strips so that they can understand what it is to tell a story sequentially, how to start with a beginning, come up with a middle and come up with an end, how to knit those things together first in very short, simple panels. But then they can expand to a writing a, a one or two or four or eight page story. So, again, teaching the process of creativity, how to think an, an idea through, come up with a concept, plot it out structure some sort of an outline, even if it's just in bullet points, and then being able to choose the right words, understanding how characters that you're creating think, what they want, what are their goals. This causes all kinds of conversations about people, about goals, about good, about evil. So again, this became more of, it's not just, oh, we're going to draw stuff, but we're actually going to discuss stuff. We're actually going to look at what, it, what does it mean to be good or bad? What does that mean to you? You know, and, and how are you going to portray that in your story? 
And a lot of the kids, because in some cases I'm working in upper middle class areas and other times I'm working with kids from challenged areas or underserved areas, and we get to see what's on their mind, how the environment they're in has affected them and impacted on them. And again, as we talked about at the very beginning of this, I'm giving them a way to express what's going on in them, giving them an outlet through the drawings and trying very hard not to make it about my concepts of what you're doing here, but making sure that I'm helping you make your story as clear as possible so everyone can get it. We can see what you're saying, get what you're about. And again, that validates the person. It helps them suddenly realize something I thought of, something I thought I couldn't do, I can. And if I can do this, then maybe I can do that. And one thing that I'll add to that is there's this one series of workshops I was doing in New Jersey. Every year I would do an eight-week uh, program in this middle school. About the fourth year, kids from the previous first and second year approached and said, could we help with your class or could we speak to the students in your class? And I said, okay, fine, right? And we're doing the workshop and some of these kids are in there talking to their juniors now. And you hear them saying, I didn't think I could do anything until I took this class. And I know you can do it too. So now you're getting this peer sharing and encouragement going on, mentoring between kids. You know? <laughs> yeah. So that's another workshop that I did. And then there are others. There's, there's um, screenwriting, which I do at the, the New York Film uh, Academy. And that's ages 19, well, actually, sometimes during the summer, it's 16. But let's say teenager to 60-something years of age. And one and from people all over the world. All I mean, literally, they come from all over the world, different age ranges, sometimes in, this, in mixed in the same classes. Someone who's 50 is in the same class with people who are like in their early 20s. And that is, it's like a smorgasbord. It's a wonderful blend of people from different backgrounds. And sometimes it's from ruffled feathers. But most of the time, it's like, oh, okay, you're from here and you're from there. Okay, cool. We're here to learn how to make movies, right? And they have to work together, not only in my class, but in other classes. They have to share working on the equipment. They crew for each other. They get to see each other working on their own individual scripts. They get to hear stories from one person who's from Italy and someone else who's from Africa, from Nigeria or from Sicily. Right? These things are happening. And I help them find the universal themes because that's what we talk about. Mm -hmm. How do you pull in an audience? Well, yeah, the story can be about something you experience, but there are elements that are universal. And let's look at those universal themes and look at more of the commonalities of all of us as opposed to all the differences that are supposedly there, making a problem. Mm -hmm. So my my whole approach to teaching anything, whether it's comics or writing or um, or acting, or is community and collaboration and helping people feel empowered to trust themselves, to allow themselves to express themselves, to take that chance. And if something's not quite working, work at working through it so that you develop that skill because you can keep changing your mind 
That happens. We have students that throw stuff out. Oh, I know. I worked on it for three weeks. It's not working. I got a better idea now. I got a better idea now. I got a better idea now. And I go, how's that working for you? <laughs> yeah, because yeah, you remember that better idea you had four weeks ago? You know, you, this one now, you, you're dropping this at two weeks. Yeah. I, I feel like but, I'm being called out here based on a couple of projects I've got going <laughs> you know, and and the thing is, I also have to be honest. I will tell students, you know, I'm not telling you not to do this, this, and this because it's wrong and it's not going to work for you. And I've never made those mistakes. I have made those mistakes. As a matter of fact, there's a couple I still make. You know, I try and catch myself, but sometimes I still I still struggle with things. I said I've got 40 plus years of professional writing under my belt, and there are times I will run into a project and I'm going, I can't. I'm why am I having trouble getting through this? I should know how to. I, each project is different in some way. And exploring how to get through it, how to work through it, makes you stronger. And it teaches you new techniques, things that you might even turn around and share with the person coming up behind you. So these are things that I, I really work very hard at. My, my, my friend Chris Ryan, who's the co-host of our, our podcast, Tell the Damn Story, uh, he was a teacher in high school. 30 years and most of what he did was creative writing and literature and we we sometimes sit and commiserate you know and share share battle stories about this well and i mean you've hit on a couple of things here one of the things and i and i was have had this conversation with people right now that that i'm working with i'm like i believe in two things number one everyone should always be learning and number two that they should always be teaching because teaching mm -hmm. is the best way to learn and yeah, there's that the old concept of failing forward. Just because you screwed it up doesn't mean it's not something you you learn from or that you you know becomes meaningful. Uh, and I laughed about this. I was a convention and saw a T-shirt and I'm like, yeah, I got to have that one. And it said, I never fail. I either win or I learn. And <clears throat> that to me was kind of one of those was one of those moments you look and go, okay. This this is somebody who, you know, who kind of gets it. And I mean, we all have those days that you look at, like you were talking about earlier, we're like, why the hell am I still doing this? But, I, you know, again, I very much love all the work you're doing with the kids. I love to see all the work you're doing with the adults. I have one more question for you, because, you know, you've got kids con. Ah. <clears throat> um, and. You know, I do. Uh, I I do a lot of different conventions. I do sci-fi and fantasy ones. I do business and technology ones. I do a whole bunch of different ones, depending on what I'm running my mouth about at a given time. And, but one of the things that I've seen a lot of a big shift in over the, especially probably the last decade, is more and more, especially of comic cons and sci-fi fantasy conventions, are getting older. We're not seeing the kids mm. coming. And not and so things that traditionally would have been oh well that's kids stuff, and I think people have you know I think the the adults that are still big fans of it you know outside of just like the major movies and things like that but people that hold and really gain a lot from fandom and everything else I'm not seeing the kids as much but when you do see the kids they're having a great time they're they're getting to feed that imagination and I love this idea of the kids con. Um, you know, what, what have you seen in terms of the convention circuit and the difference in what you're trying to do there of really encouraging kids to instill 
this love of comics and the love of all this. And, you know, your teaching is a part of it. But again, it's it's again creating that community in the kids again to then hopefully have them carry that through through life. Yeah, I'll, I'll try and be a little more succinct this time. I know I sort of take off there. Um, I said I said earlier that it's the kid in me that comes up with the ideas and the wacky stories and things like that, and then the adult has to figure out how to pull it off. Uh, I think that one, the big kid, I, I'm a big kid. There's 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 a, a childlike aspect of myself that I will never lose. I really hope I never do, because that that allows the world to still you know me to greet the world with wonder every now and then. And and to be excited about things and passionate about things, you know, I allow that because kids basically, if you let them, will just totally go, you know, and embrace the world with full energy. And also, until we teach them otherwise, kids aren't basically bigoted. You know, mm -hmm. new person, okay, can you do this? And like, they're they're open. They're they're pretty much open until some individuals teach otherwise. And so the Kids Con to me, first of all, it's called Kids Comic Con. Um, my first uh, reason for creating that, aside from the big kid in me, was that the Comic Cons, and this is going back almost 20 years, started to move away from children. Almost totally. It, at that time, it was more explicit violence and explicit sexual content was starting to really blossom in the industry. And I would go to conventions and see uh, Archie comics and Betty Boop comics and things like that on tables right next to, um, shall we say, some young ladies who have a more exotic way of living their lives and have done comic books about that and are dressed in the appropriate attire for luring the older people over to them. And it's like, I, I like looking at good looking women too and everything, but not right next to Right. There should be, you know, like like in a library or other things, there should be sections within this event where it's it's more this is for this audience, that's for that audience. So as I noticed that more and more space was being given to the adult-oriented, not necessarily sexual, but like I said, more violence, whatever, more of that was happening, and kids were just getting shuffled off into the corner or not considered at all. That bothered me because I knew that comics aside from the entertainment value and the imagination stimulation, so the way a lot of kids started reading. Mm -hmm. It was the thing that helped a lot of kids continue reading. And if you're not producing material for them, that body of children, and it doesn't mean, oh, because the kids who had trouble reading, they could only read comic books. I'm talking about kids who have a good education and they just weren't interested in books. Mm -hmm. If you give them a good comic, okay, hey, I'm I'm there. I'm going to read this, and I'm going to learn about such and such. I, I'm not consciously learning, but subconsciously I'm learning. So I wanted to create an event that was focused specifically on children and family, and that we would monitor the material. Other cons could have that other more risque stuff, but we would have stuff that would be age-appropriate right up till, you know, late teens. And initially it was just an experiment. It was I was going to do it one time to show the other cons. Look, you could have a section for this at your event. And the day that we did it, and this goes to your question about what do I see? The day that we did it, I saw children in a gym. Well, it's like a big gymnasium sort of on a college campus where we were doing it here in the Bronx. 
as giddy and as excited and as involved as if they were at Disney World. They were looking at the books and they were, the artists were doing drawing demonstrations and they were so excited about that. We did workshops and they were bouncing off the place. And, and I'm, I'm looking at this and I was just, I was just like, it was more than I'd even expected. And then at the end of the event, at the end of the day, everybody of the audience, the patrons left and I just closed the door and I turn around to start to organize and coordinate the artists and the the publishers and things were there, and it was it was like a small event. It was um, I think we had maybe forty five artists and publishers at the event. We'd had something like seven hundred people come as patrons. But I turn around, and these some of these artists and publishers are practically dancing in the aisles because the, the I saw kids reading my comic, and it was and you're going to do this again, right? You're going to do this again, and I, just, I hadn't planned to, you know. That was that was 17 years ago. And we've done one every year since. And we did a certain period of time. We were the coordinators uh, for the Reed uh, New York Comic Con. Uh, we did their family room uh, a couple of years. We've been, a few of us have gone to do events at other people's conventions, like a kid's corner thing. And it's always the same thing. Children realize oh you're paying attention to me i matter oh this is something i can read this is you you draw archie i can ask you questions mm. i can fill myself up with all of this good stuff and go and i can make my own i can draw my own that that's priceless mm. that's magic and then the other thing that that i see is when we do our workshops you know, the parents will sit there with their little kids or with their medium-sized kids, and I'll do a little introduction to how you're going to draw this and everything, and then we'll start, and I'll hand out, and say, by the way, parents, you can you can do this too. And I said, oh, no, I'm just, no, I said, no, no, we teach by example. So here, here's some paper, here's a pencil, you get to it, and eventually what you start to see is, like, if the child's doing the hero or the villain, the parents are, well, I'll do this, and, and then I'll make the parents participate in the show and tell. And if, well, my character is such and such, and you see the children sharing the experience with the parent, and 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 vice versa. Parents sometimes really get into it. Why? Because the kid in them isn't dead either, mm -hmm. and now they have a way of interacting and communicating with their child they didn't have before, or they learn suddenly. I didn't know that you knew all this. I didn't know you liked to draw. I didn't know mm -hmm. because you, you hadn't had the opportunity to find out. So I I see this as not only uh, something that should be there for kids because they do matter they do matter. it goes back to that whole statement about being a whole human being you squash this stuff when they're children you have a damaged adult uh -huh. so let's not do that anymore <laughs> you know let's let's be supportive of them at this time in their lives when they're most vulnerable when they're most open to impressions when they're most curious about things when they need the help they need the support the most so that that point when they go oh you don't know nothing i'm out here i got it all together you go yeah okay fine i'll just sit back here and watch <laughs> and when you when you mess up i'll be here and they'll know yeah i messed up i can go back and ask questions mm -hmm. or i can take this shot i can i can go for this because i actually kind of sort of trust my imagination. i kind of trust that i can figure things out I've had some practice and you've been, you've been able to make mistakes in a safe way. Yeah. 
I mean, this, yeah. this is one of the other big things that I, I get all the time, which is that fear of, oh, my God, what if I make a mistake? Then learn from it. Screw up yeah. differently every time. I mean, that's why there are erasers at the end of pencils. <laughs> yeah. I mean, th to me, this is one of the biggest benefits to this idea of creativity is you get to experiment. You get to discover what works, what doesn't and discover. Just because you made a mistake is not going to be the end of the world. Yep. And if you've got friends like mine, they're probably going to point and laugh a little bit. And then you point and laugh at theirs and you all move on together and you go, okay, well now I've, now I know how to do this. And the other thing it teaches you is how to collaborate. Yeah. And, and it's funny. This, that's just where I was going to go. The, the other thing I was saying about at like the New York film Academy, but also through the kids comic con and through the internet, I've had kids do collaboration projects from different parts of the world. So I've had children in Africa and Ireland and Russia and the United States working on comic book projects and then sharing their experiences over the web. And and that's that's there's no politics involved here. It's people. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's just regular human beings because that's basically what we all are. And the and in terms of the film world, um I teach people to learn to, to observe characters and to be cognizant of how it is to communicate a particular character's habits and moods and, and, and maybe even their upbringing or their culture. And I'll point out not only current films or TV shows, but I'll go, as Chris likes to put it, he says, my way back machine. So um, I'll bring forward like a movie like uh, uh, Taking of Pelham 123, mm -hmm. the original one with Walter Matthau and, and Robert Shaw and Martin Balsam. These are names that won't mean anything to a lot of my students initially, but they'll watch the film and I'll go, what's the atmosphere here? And some students, and this actually happened, some students go, this really looks like New York. I said, why? And then they think about it and say, well, cause some of the people, I mean, I see Hispanic, I see this, I see that. I said, yeah, right. And what do you see in terms of the feel of the, the, the shots, the, 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 the backgrounds? Everything says, this is New York. It's gritty, it's this, it's that. It, that's a very specific choice. They want you to be pulled into that world. And in order to create that world, you have to know it. You have to observe it. You have to see it. You have to run around, take pictures in your head or with a camera. And these characters represent certain things. And that means you have to be observant of people. You have to communicate with people, different people other than yourself, so that you can then reflect that in your work or be more comfortable communicating to them or with them because you've got a broader view of the world. I mean, and one of the, the beautiful things is learning to take other people's viewpoints and understand where they're coming from and how they came to those conclusions is one of those things, even if you don't like them, even if you don't agree with them, there's still value there because you understand how somebody got there. And now you can find a way to get to the middle grounds, the middle points. And, you know, sometimes you can create tremendously beautiful things, even out of conflict. Mm -hmm. If it's done right. And if you have the tools to go about doing that. And I think this is this, these kinds of collaborations give people a lot of those tools to, to go forth and, and life and relationships and and how they earn a living everything else i mean this is where a lot of the things that i do because a lot of the classes i teach are about all right you want to be creative here's how you can earn a living from it or at least make part of your living from it or you know how you move through these things and when people 
get the idea in their heads of, okay, I'm creative. I don't, the, the connection they then create between money and creativity Mm. money's a sin. And it's like, no, you've built knowledge and skills and passion that you're sharing with the world. What's wrong with the world helping to support you so you can do more of it? Exactly. Exactly. And, and I, I, I'm totally with you because again, my era, you know, money is the root of all evil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a phrase I was constantly hearing. And yeah, you start, I, I'm, I'm a big here, a little reveal here. Okay. This, this is, this is when my hero in, in childhood, right? Lone Ranger and Tonto, right? For a number of reasons, including seeing two people of different races working together. But he would help people and then ride off before they even thanked him. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my mindset growing up was I, I can do good and, and help people and everything. And then I don't get anything for it. I don't, shouldn't expect anything for it. That, that would make me a good person. Well, yeah, I am a good person, basically. And I also need to eat, you know. And when I got married and had children, we also need to take care of the, the family. And it took me a long time to find that balance of where, yeah, I sh- I need to be paid appropriately for my efforts and for my expertise, so that a I can take care of me and my and my family. Or you know, in some cases, that was still a struggle. Um, but the other thing too is so that I can do even more mm-hmm. for others. Well, and and going to that going to that biblical quote of you know the love of money is the root of all evil. That's not the quote. It's for the sorry about that. It's for the love of money is the root of all evil. It's the if yep. you're doing it purely for the sake of that is what causes the problem. But the reality of it is money is just a tool. Yeah. Once you get past taking care of the basics, taking care of you know paying the rent eating you know taking care of the basics beyond that it's a tool that gives you more options it lets you develop more it lets you help others it lets you help the family it lets you explore and find new ways to to create and this is one of those things that happens with with some of our clients not only in the creative space but people in in lawyers we've worked with attorneys we've worked with people in healthcare. we work with the people in a lot of places that have the exact same fear of well i'm i'm just doing the thing that i should do to help the world and it's not about creating entitlement it's about saying that i'm benefiting the world and i need the world to help make sure that i can continue yep. to do that and i and think take care of me so that i can help possibly take care of others yeah and i'm I, that's the other thing that i try to instill is it's okay to benefit from the creativity you bring because you're bringing much more into the world than than just what the money's going to bring yeah, and I'll, I'll just, this quick thing too, I'm glad you said that because that's another thing. Some people will speak to artists as if what we do, which they're trying to buy, uh, really isn't very valuable. So whatever I'm offering you, you should be thankful. And no, if I have a certain skill and I've worked to make this this move to get to this point in my life, then this is my value. This is what my monetary value is. And this is what I expect to be paid for it and paid in a timely you know, fashion. And if that's not for you, if that doesn't work for you, fine. It's been nice and I'm off. But yeah, to expect our proper compensation is totally valid because we are, there's the art and then there's the art, the business of art. And they, mm-hmm. they, they are at times totally connected. 
and one should be balanced with the other. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, that's and that's where that's a big part of the classes that I teach a lot of the time is here's how you balance the difference between the service you're bringing, the benefit you're bringing, and the fact that you still need to make a living. Um, yeah, you don't have to. You can create without that being your intent. But if that's your intent, you should never mm-hmm. feel guilty about it, that there you actually are entitled to help profit from the work you're doing because you are bringing great things into the world. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, anything else you want to hit on today? Um, I would say maybe rounding off. Um, I mentioned earlier that I created this character called Blackjack, African-American soldier of fortune, 1930s. And that is my, that's like really my passion project. The kids comic con and blackjack are the two things that um, I would say, if one wanted to use the word legacy, something I want to leave behind. Those are the two things that I want to leave behind kids comic con. We've talked about a lot blackjack uh, for a particular reason. I grew up in the 1950s, 60s and into the seventies, obviously. And when I came into the world, Rosa Parks hadn't yet done her thing in the back of the bus, but it was coming. Uh, the civil rights movement, all of that happened as I was growing up. The, the assassination of Kennedy's, that happened while I was growing up. To know that for the period, the early periods of my life, almost the first 20 years of my life, there was so much that people of color had been denied in terms of just even an opportunity to earn a decent living, to make their mark in the world, or to have what they'd already accomplished recognized so when i watched television and i went to the movies i i enjoyed james bond i enjoyed the lone ranger and everything i wasn't necessarily thinking about color at the early stages but at a certain point i realized that the only times i saw people who looked like me they were either porters or butlers or later criminal elements and yet everything else no it wasn't us And so when I began to find that I was going to be a a creative, um, at first an actor, then a a writer uh, of plays, I slowly, and not from a a militant standpoint, but from a, no, damn it, this happened, I started to create stories where I could see my people in it as well. It wasn't just only Blacks. It was, we're here as a part of this world, and so I'm going to start putting us in there and up front. And like a Sherlock Holmes play that I did uh, called Sherlock Holmes in the Hands of Othello, which got produced and published, Sherlock Holmes uh, winds up taking on a case of a family, uh, the Aldridge family. Amanda Aldridge is his client. And actually there was a real thespian, an actor in the 1800s called Ira Aldridge, who came from the United States, went over to Europe, became this continental success, married and died over there. And his family, you know, grew and lived their lives over there. And it was a remarkable story. So I took elements of that and created a Sherlock Holmes mystery around it. And this was my way of making the world more aware of Ira Aldridge and what he accomplished. Um, So when I wanted to do a comic book character, I wanted to do an adventure series because I like action adventure and heroes and all that. And so I thought about it. and I went, yeah, I want somebody who I could pretend to be, you know, that kid in me again. And so I created Aaron Day, a blackjack, a soldier of fortune, because his father in the early 
1900s had been one of those expatriates who went over to Europe and fought and realized I can make money and feel more like a man here than I could living in the United States. And his family, his wife and children are there, but he's sending money back to them. But the wife, because I don't know weak women. My mom's raising my grandmother. Raised, these are strong women. So I don't have weak women in my life here in that respect. So his wife goes, you know what, sweetheart? That's great. You're sending us money. But no, this ain't working. You know, the kids don't know their father. So we're coming over there. And wherever you are, you're going to be off in the hills, the mountains, the desert, wherever fighting. We'll be in a village or a town or a city somewhere nearby so that when all that's finished, you can get back to your family. And so my character, Aaron, grows up in this kind of environment being exposed to other parts of the world, being a part of the world, and yet eventually trying to grow up to be like his dad, but his mother's influences are there too. And that gave me, A, a more whole human being, B, uh, a parents, two parents, as opposed to what was prominent at that time is the, the, the mother always raising us and the black men disappearing. This was my way of, of shedding a different light on those things and yet coming up with these adventure stories that spoke to me and I hope would speak to a universal audience, not just black people, but as many different people as possible. And I was told a lot, oh, it's only gonna appeal to blacks, it's only gonna appeal to guys, it's only gonna do this. And when I started doing it and I found someone who, who backed the project and we started creating our own comics, we had email from Mexico, from parts of Europe, from throughout the United States, people enjoying the project and enjoying the stuff and realizing, learning about some of the accomplishments of people of color from this adventure series. And so to mm -hmm. me, that was that was the first move. Since then, I've written short stories. I also, my, my buddy Chris Ryan has written a number of short stories. I've worked with a number of different comic book artists, John Jennings, uh, Sean Atkinson, um, Tim Fielder, just a, a number of really, Scott Hanna, a number of great people. And even now, I still learn of things that I want to put into the series that help me feel that I'm at least trying to contribute to the awareness that people of color, not just Black people or African people, but uh, people from China and Japan and some of the stories I've done, people in other parts of the world, who are misrepresented in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, this is more of their story. Or get curious enough to now go out and learn their stories so that you're getting a, a more authentic or honest sense of who is out there as opposed to this stereotypical and somewhat twisted sense of what the world is made up of. And I think that's the power of being a creative I'm not saying I'm powerful per se. I'm saying the power of creativity is being able to take information, you know, actual facts and figures, as well as fiction, and blending them together to create something that makes people or helps people to be more aware of a greater truth. Well, and I think that that goes back to the core strength of creativity is it's how we learn, it's how we teach, mm -hmm. and fundamentally it is the human experience and i think that's the thing is that frequently we don't look at things from the true human experience as to to what's going on because it's i know i know that i have this sphere and this is the entirety of my world i've had the benefit of you know traveling and working all over the place you know i came from a very small town in south carolina <laughs> oh really where um the grand metropolis of sumter <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I've only been as far as, as Myrtle Beach in South Carolina, but my family comes from New Bern, North Carolina, which is a small town on the west coast of, of the of uh I'm in Charlotte. Yeah, know exactly yep. where it's at. I mean, yep, we, there you go. So I've had the great benefit of traveling the world, working in a lot of different countries with a lot of different people and seeing here's things how are di- here's how things are different for the most part. People are people. We just want to go. We want to enjoy life and the the biggest hit things we hit are with when people lose out on that joy they lose out on trying to remember there's time there's things worth enjoying there's happiness Mm -hmm. there's creativity and that's you know and to me that's the big thing i've learned that coming from a workaholic who's worked all over the planet (laughs) (laughs) well you know that's that's part of your legacy oh so I appreciate you coming to hang out with me today, Alex. Oh, this has been way more than I thought we were going to get out of into in the conversation. And it's been great. I appreciate oh, you coming. I'm, I'm, I hope so. Cause I, as I said, I sort of, you know, you said we could, we could just go. And so I did. Hey, well, I'm, that's what I'm always good for is I'd rather sit here and us just sort of chat, hang out a bit and dive into some of these fun topics. Cause we got way deeper in than I think that than a lot of the time we would. So I, I definitely appreciate you coming to hang out today. It's it's been fun. I'm, I actually I'm so, so sorry we haven't done this before. I don't mean necessarily recording it, but we haven't had a lot of opportunities to talk. So this has been fun for me too. Thank you. Well, we have some other stuff we're gonna have to talk about offline. I have other. There's evil afoot. Wait, sorry. <laughs> okay, as opposed to the games afoot, we have evil afoot. Okay. Uh, well, okay. There's mayhem afoot, and maybe maybe there's a little mayhem afoot. <laughs> okay. Um, well, let's let, let everybody know how they can find you, all the great projects you're doing. Of course, they need to go out and get the Black Panther that I think the paperback just got released. Oh yeah, college. yeah. Black Panther: Tales of Wakanda. Um, myself and 17 other writers uh, have done a series of short stories in this. This anthology collection of of, of wonderful black star, Black Panther stories and and stories of characters from Wakanda. So it's not just the Black Panther; it's his mother, it's his sisters, it's it's the Dala Melange, it's it's Dora Melange. It's it's just a wonderful experience of of that world. And that um, that thank you, Jesse Hollins, who coordinated all of that and also has some writing in that book. Um, also. Um, my own character, Blackjack, as a matter of fact, uh, I, I'm releasing a uh, an omnibus of some of the short stories. Uh, that's going to be in a link on my website. So that's SimmonsHereAndNow.com. It's all written out, all words, Simmons, here, H-E-R-E, and A-N-D, now, N-O-W.com. And on Instagram, I am Alex Simmons Says. S-A-Y-S. And um, my podcast with Chris Ryan is Tell the Damn Story, you know, and that can be found on Anchor, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and and like, I don't know, six others. Um, there's there's more, but those are the basic ways to, to find me. Well, Alex, I definitely appreciate you coming to hang out today, and we'll have to do it again soon. So absolutely. If not here, we'll do it over on Continual. Hey, anytime, anywhere. <laughs> okay. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Thanks so much. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you again next week.